All right, Romans chapter 10, uh, verses 5 through 13. I'm just going to begin by reading the text. And if you don't have a Bible, just grab one of those blue ones, and page 946 will bring you to uh, this section of God's holy word. Beginning in verse 5, the Apostle Paul, the author here of this book, here's the words. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. And so this morning, if you, uh, if you look inside of your bulletin, you'll find an outline. We're going to just simply continue, as uh, from last week, to consider two aspects. We, we kind of looked at point one uh, last week. We're going to continue two aspects of the gospel so that we might better know and understand God's glorious way of salvation. The first one was that we looked at last week was the gospel is readily accessible, readily accessible. We'll do a little bit of review. And two, the gospel brings salvation to everyone who believes it. So, before we continue, I want to just remind you of some things. I've said these things before, but I want to keep saying them um, just to make sure you don't miss it. Chapters 9, 10, and 11 of Romans, okay, in this book that we're looking at, are primarily focused on the nation of Israel or the Jewish people, okay? That's the primary focus. Paul will mention the Gentiles, the, 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 the concept of the Gentiles. You'll, you'll see it more mentioned in chapter 11, but it's there in the background. But the primary focus right here in this section of Romans is Israel. It's Israel. And just keep that in mind as we go through these chapters. Otherwise, you won't understand what Paul's really trying to communicate. So in chapter 9, we've already got through chapter 9, Paul explains, and this is review, that even though the Jewish people had, for the most part, rejected their promised Messiah, or Jesus Christ, even though that had happened, their refusal to embrace Jesus and be saved in no way means that God's word or his promises to the nation had somehow failed or been frustrated. It doesn't mean that. And you go, well, why would it mean that? Well, here's the issue. If God's promises to the nation of Israel are attached to them embracing their Messiah, and they are, they are, okay? So in order for those promises, all of those promises that God has made to the nation, in order for them to be fulfilled, they have to embrace the Messiah. And so since that is the case, on the surface, it appears then that God's promises have failed since the nation clearly rejected the Messiah, who is who? Jesus Christ, right? It's either that or Jesus is not the Messiah. Huh? See, this is significant. So Paul needs to address this, 
because he's making the claim that Jesus is the Messiah. Well, if he's the Messiah, why did the whole nation reject him? And if they did reject him and he is the Messiah, then has God's word failed? No, Paul assures his readers that is not the case. And why isn't that the case? This is all chapter 9, okay, just review. Why isn't that the case? Well, in part, it is because God never promised nor intended to save and bless every descendant of, of Abraham or every person born of Jewish descent. He did not promise that. He did not promise that. Rather, according to his purpose of election, do you remember that? According to his purpose of election, according solely to his choice, he, through his sovereign call or divine summons, has extended his mercy to some or a remnant, a remnant, but not to all or the entire nation of Israel. And those who have received or receive the saving mercy receive it not because uh, they in any way deserve it or have earned it, but only, only because of God's sovereign and saving choice to make them the recipients of it. You with me? You with me? That was chapter 9. That was chapter 9, basically. But now listen carefully. God's choice, now we're moving into chapter 10, God's choice in saving sinners, it's his choice alone, or the doctrine of election, in no way means that those who are not saved are not ultimately responsible for their lost condition. Did you hear what I said? It does not mean that. Beloved, here's the bottom line. No one in the end will be able to justly blame God for the fact that they are not saved. They will not. You know, we, do you remember Romans 1? Some of you have been here with us many years ago, whenever that was. Romans 1, right? What did we learn about man? Man, in his sin, suppresses the truth. He suppresses God's truth. That's what we do as sinners unredeemed sinners, we suppress the truth and we choose rather to believe a lie. And as unredeemed sinners, we do that with Christ as well. We do that with salvation. If a person remains lost, beloved, if they remain unsaved, listen, it is ultimately on them. It's on them. And beginning at the end of chapter 9 and extending to the end of chapter 10, hear me, Paul's primary point is Israel's failure to be saved isn't God's fault, but it is their own fault. It is their own fault. Paul sums up the primary issue with Israel in the last verse of chapter 10, saying, but of Israel, but of Israel, God says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. That's what God says. Stubborn rebels. Stubborn rebels. Beloved, if it were not for the mercy, the saving mercy and grace of God that he poured into your life and into mine, we'd still be stubborn rebels. Rebels. 
You understand? Similar to many religious people today, this, this disobedient and obstinate people or the nation of Israel, God's chosen nation, were a people attempting to get right with God in their own way instead of God's way. Beloved people, people still do this today. They're still doing this today. They were seeking, the nation of Israel, salvation on their terms, okay, rather than on God's terms, which is tragically just another manifestation of the sinful, rebellious nature that we are born with. Do you hear what I'm saying? God says, do this, and we say, no, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And when it comes to salvation, tragically, man in his depravity does the same thing. See, men, people are very religious, beloved. They're very religious. But instead of submitting to God's way to be saved, they determine how they'll be saved. They determine, which is a tragic mistake. The nation of Israel, as the Apostle Paul has pointed out, was seeking to establish their own righteousness before God. That is, they were trying to earn or merit their salvation or a right standing before God through their obedience to God's law or through law-keeping. Beloved, I can take any, every other religion of the world, and that's basically what they're trying to do. Apart from Christianity, put Christianity over here, the one and only true religion, the only one that leads to salvation. The only one that brings salvation and put in this bucket all the other religions of the world and all of them are attempting to get to God not his way, but their own way. Stubborn rebels. But as we saw last week, Paul points out in verses 6 through 8 of chapter 10, this is last week, that God's salvation which, listen, is not a a righteousness that is based on the law, but rather a righteousness that is based on what? Faith. Faith. That righteousness that's based on faith was not something hidden or kept from the Jewish people or something they needed to search out or discover. It, It wasn't as if, listen, it wasn't as if they didn't know what God was requiring of them. That wasn't the case. Rather, God has made his salvation known. And not only known, but accessible, readily accessible to the nation. That is, the opportunity to be saved was and is entirely within their reach. Entirely within their reach. If they would simply, by faith, embrace the person and saving work of Jesus Christ, they would be saved. But but sadly, in their sinful pride, they refuse God's way. They refuse God's way. I can't wait to get to chapter 11, beloved, because the story is not over for Israel. Okay? There is a restoration coming. There is a a national repentance that's coming. But you have to wait. Right now, Paul is he's 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 just making his arguments. He's he's explaining to us, listen, Israel's fall is in part because of God's sovereign election. Don't freak out. 
This is God's plan. But don't think for a second that Israel will not be held responsible for their failure to embrace their Messiah. They will. But there's hope because restoration is coming to this rebellious nation. Okay? That's chapter 11. So, uh, so let me move on here. All right. So let's... Okay, so this one writer says this, as we're thinking about this, yes, it's about the nation of Israel, but there are many similarities between them and all the religions of the world today. Similarities in that sense, okay? Doing it their way instead of God's way. Uh, Much of Western society, one person says, is like the Israel of Paul's day. Although most unbelievers have a, a limited and often a distorted concept of Christianity, they have a general idea of its claims, and they have access to Bibles, churches and christians that's a that's absolutely true in america is it not in western society through which they could easily discover the gospel if they honestly desired it and the writer goes on to say but tragically however men still choose works righteousness works righteousness they want to earn their salvation they want to be able to boast in what they have done And God says, I'll have none of that. I'll have none of that. He who comes to me comes pleading mercy and relying fully on the work of Jesus Christ alone. Men suppress the truth in unrighteousness, beloved. That's that's what we do in our fallen state. Even when we get saved, beloved, we are still tempted to do such foolish and idiotic things. We push down the truth of God's word and choose rather to believe the lies of this world or our friends or our family, right? Is that not the case? But suppressing the truth of the gospel, beloved, and believing a lie instead leads to eternal damnation. Look back at our text. Paul said in verse 8, verse 8. Now we're kind of picking up and we're, we're moving, moving on. But what does it say? And the it in the context is the righteousness based on faith. What does it say? It says this. The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. And Paul explains what word is he referring to. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Now, I told you last week, the word of faith is not the word of faith movement, that unbiblical movement. We talked about that last week if you weren't here. Uh, You should listen to that because it's impacted a lot of people. No, the word of faith is really nothing more and nothing less than what? Huh? The gospel. They were right. You guys, what happened? Okay. The gospel. So this is, we can talk back and forth. It's okay. All right. So the gospel, that is the gospel that the true church continues to proclaim to this day. That is the very same gospel that the apostles were proclaiming. We have continued to proclaim it to this day, 2,000 years later. It is, the, it is the word or message concerning God's salvation, a salvation, beloved, that has been secured through the person and saving work of Jesus Christ, of Jesus Christ. And it is a message, beloved, that simply calls for faith or requires a response of faith, okay? It's a message that requires us to respond in faith. It is the word of faith. 
And when one responds appropriately to this message by believing and trusting in it, guess what? They are forever, what do you think? Saved, redeemed. They are reconciled to God. They are made in that moment entirely right with God. That's unbelievable, beloved. The sinner through faith is made entirely right with God. They obtain Another way to say it, they obtain a permanent right standing before God. How do they do that? By faith. By faith in the gospel, okay? Not by trying to earn it or, or work up to it. None of that. Or law-keeping or obedience. It's by faith. Now, we'll pick up where we left off last week. You ready? All right, this is where we left off, right here at verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Okay? So what's Paul doing here? Well, he is demonstrating, I believe, the incredible... He just talked about the nearness. It's in the word, it's in the mouth, the word of faith. He's demonstrating the incredible nearness of God's salvation or the righteousness that is based on faith by pointing out that it only demands or demands only a simple response, a simple response. Becoming right with God or obtaining God's salvation, beloved, is not about keeping a set of rules or regulations. Did you hear me? Becoming right with God is not about keeping a, a set of rules or regulations. It's not about continually trying to be good enough, as if that was even possible. It is not about religious rituals or ceremonies to observe. Did you hear me? Because everything I just said, the religions of the world would say, yes, it is. The false religions of the world. Did you hear me? They would say, you're wrong. Jeremy, you're wrong. It is about those things. No, it is not about those things. Rather, all one has to do to achieve it, that is this this righteousness that is based on faith, all one has to do to be saved is confess with one's mouth and believe in one's heart. Who can't do that? That's not the issue. It's sinners don't or won't do it. They won't do it. They refuse. Now, we need to talk about that for a moment. I want to I discuss the content of what Paul says we are to confess and believe. But before I do that, I want to point out a few things to you, okay? First, the Greek word translated confess. You see the word confess there in your Bibles, your English Bibles? That Greek word basically means to assent to, to assent to, or to express agreement with something, or I'm sorry, to express agreement with someone on something. To express agreement with someone on something, okay? Confess. So like, for instance, and I've said this before, if you go, if, if you get arrested for a crime, it's because they believe you've committed the crime. 
they'll come in and they'll ask you. I don't know this by uh, uh, personal experience, by the way. I'm just, and it doesn't matter if I did because I'm a saved man. I'm a saved man, but I'm just saying. I don't have personal experience in this, but if you do, you can also be saved. Um, you confess. They say, listen, we want you to confess. What are they saying? We want you to agree with us about what we have said you have done. You with me? Okay. So I only point that out because Paul is not saying that in order to be saved, someone must simply express uh, these words with their mouth. Jesus is Lord. That, that's not... That's not what he's saying. Rather, the confession is supposed to be a reflection of the fact that the person believes and agrees with the word of faith or the gospel that the apostles proclaimed. You with me? It's an acknowledgement that they agree with what the message or the word of faith is. So they're, they're expressing their agreement with someone on something, specifically that Jesus is Lord. So the saved person is the person who accepts and affirms the truth in their heart concerning Jesus Christ, that he is Lord. That's that's the saved person. We'll talk about that in a moment, but as one writer said, this is not Paul is not talking about salvation by slogan. That's not what, what's going on. It's not salvation by slogan. It's salvation by faith. That is an intelligent faith, an informed faith. You know, the Bible doesn't just say, have faith. Just believe. Believe what? Believe this. Believe the word of faith, the gospel, the message of salvation that requires you to trust it in order to receive the benefits of it. All right? So there's specific content that... A Christian or one who desires to be saved, they must embrace. They must believe, okay? So I can't just believe anything I want about this Jesus and be saved. You with me? So it then becomes very important that I believe what the gospel says, what the word of God says, what the apostolic message is and was or was and is, because we continue to repeat it, concerning this one, Jesus the Christ, and this, beloved, is why all of the cults, all the false religions of the world, if you want to, you, you can identify very quickly that they're false because they always preach or teach a different Jesus than the one in the scriptures, okay? Which means that religion cannot save. You can embrace the Jesus of Mormonism. You can embrace the Jesus of Jehovah Witnesses but you will not be saved. You have not embraced the Jesus of the gospel. You with me? So that's why we're not cool with saying, yeah, Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, we're all, you know, we're all friends. I mean, we could be friends, but we're not brothers and sisters in Christ. Not even close. They preach a false gospel that sends people to hell. And so we should say that. We shouldn't shy away from things like that. That's how serious this is. So, it's an intelligent faith. That's what Christianity is, an intelligent faith that lays hold of Christ as the crucified and resurrected Lord and Savior, this writer says. That's good. That's good. Second, here's the second thing I want to talk to you about. Paul is not suggesting here in these verses that salvation is a two-step process. Step one, confession. Step two, belief or faith. Okay? Rather, these two things, confession and belief, should be understood as belonging together. 
They belong together, beloved. One writer says this, Belief in the heart is clearly the crucial requirement in order to be saved, as Paul makes clear even in this context. If you look at verse 4, if you look at verse 11, it is the one who believes, beloved, who is saved. But he goes on to say, confession, agreement, is the outward manifestation of the critical inner response. I am simply confessing, acknowledging with my mouth what it is I believe in my heart concerning the word of faith, the gospel, the apostolic message that saves when we respond to it in faith. You got me? All right, another writer says this just to help you. Confession without faith would be vain. Are you, okay, so what is that? Vain is uh, uh, empty of substance or meaning. It, it's worthless. It means nothing. So if I, if I say, yes, I agree with you, but I don't really believe it, what's the point? These are just empty words. Huh? So confession without faith is vain, but likewise, faith without confession would be shown to be spurious. What's that word? Uh, not genuine, not authentic. What's that mean? So what is he saying? Well, if I say I believe, but I'm unwilling to confess it, then there's no evidence really that I believe that, is there? Confession is the the fruit of of what one believes in their heart, or at least it should be. It should be. Third, in verse 10, the words justified and saved, justified and saved, you see those two in your Bibles? Justified and saved, in the ESV at least, are not used by Paul to suggest uh, two distinct or different realities, but rather they are simply two ways of expressing the same reality. In other words, there is no fundamental difference here between being justified and being saved, okay? The justified person, the person who has been declared right with God through faith in Christ or freely given a righteous status by God is the saved person, huh? And the saved person is necessarily the justified person. You with me? Okay. So, you know, you don't, no one's going to be like, oh, you're justified, but you're not saved. Sorry, you don't get in. No, I mean, or, or you're saved, but you were never justified. It's one and the same. It's speaking of the same thing, primarily. All right? So that's all I wanted to point out to you. Now let's talk about the content of what it is we confess and believe. What does it mean to confess that Jesus is Lord? What does that mean? Well, the Greek word translated, many of you know this already, some of you don't. The Greek word translated Lord here, Lord, and being used as a title for Jesus is no small title. Uh, It is the same Greek word that is used over 6,000 times in the, the ancient Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, or as we would refer to it, the Old Testament, okay? So they took the Old Testament, and they translated it into Greek. And when they came across the, the name of God, Yahweh, you know what word they used? This same Greek word, translated Lord. It's the same one that the apostles, the writers of the New Testament, used to describe Jesus Christ. The same exact word. So what does that mean? It means this, beloved. 
To confess Jesus as Lord is to express one's belief in the fact that Jesus is not merely a man, but rather he is, in fact, God. He's God. He is God, very God. He is the God-man. He is 100% God and 100% man. He is the divine Son of God. He is the second person of the triune God, who is one God eternally existing as three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All right? Now, beloved, if he is Lord, and he is, and he is, then Jesus stands before us as the supreme being to whom all allegiance, obedience, and worship is due. Do you hear me? So then to confess him as Lord is is not only an affirmation of his true identity, it is certainly that, but it is also a confession, Christian, that calls us to wholeheartedly follow and obey him. Huh? Why do you call me Lord and do not do what I say? Are you, you, it doesn't even make sense to refer to me to the, as the supreme being to whom all obedience and allegiance and worship is due. And then to go the other way and not surrender your life to me makes absolutely no sense. He is the one as Lord, not just a man. He's not just a man. As Lord, he is the one that rightfully, because of who he is, deserves every bit of our love and our lives as Lord. Don't debate with him about what you're going to obey and not obey. Because when you're doing that, you have stopped confessing him as Lord, beloved. Or you forgot who it is whom you're talking to. Huh? He's our friend. He's our redeemer. He's our lover of our soul. He's all those things. He's our perfect substitute. He is our righteousness. But don't ever forget... Christianity begins with the confession that he is Lord. Huh? He's Lord. Do you know he's referred to more as Lord in the New Testament than he is a Savior? But how do we, how do we regularly refer? Often, Christians refer to him as Savior. Appropriate. He is Savior. But first, he is Lord. Before he was ever Savior, he was Lord and remains Lord. All right. Totally just lost where I have no idea what I'm even Ah, All right, so let's move on. We're good. In addition, all right, in addition to acknowledging Jesus' deity, 
his lordship, Paul also says, we're talking about the content of what one must confess and believe, Paul also says that one must believe or trust that God, or God the Father, since we, we worship a triune God, he raised his son, Jesus, from the dead. We must believe that. Now, is that really important? Some of you are like, I'm not sure. Is that a trick question? Yeah, you bet it's important, beloved. You bet it's important. Listen, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, uh, it not only sets Christianity far apart from all the other religions of the world, since every other religious founder is what? Dead. Well, the ones who have died. You know what I'm saying? They're always, you know, there's always a new one coming along, but they'll die too. And they'll remain that way. Every other one. Buddhism, Hinduism, Mormonism, JWs. I, you know, we can go on and on. All those founders of those faiths are what? Dead. But the founder of Christianity lives. He lives. He died and he lives. Okay, so that's significant. That should, that should just cause us to say, oh, there's something very distinct about Christianity. You bet there is, all right? But besides that, it also serves as proof that Jesus was not a liar or a lunatic. It serves as proof, beloved, that he was not a liar or a lunatic. How's that? Well, listen, while he was on earth, this Jesus, he said a lot of incredible and extraordinary things. Huh? Uh, he claimed to be God's son. He claimed to be God's son. I mean, this got him in trouble because they understood what he was claiming. The Jews understood it. They claimed that he was, he was claiming equality with God. They tried to kill him for it. That's a pretty radical claim. Uh, he claimed he was sent down from heaven. Okay, listen. If I told you that, I'm just going to skip the God's son part because that you would just, but if I said, hey, I just, you know, I don't know if you know this, but I was sent down from heaven. Okay, how many of you would stay? How many of you will come back next week? No, I hope none of you. Please, I hope none of you. I hope you'd be like, oh my goodness, he's lost his mind. Uh, this divine person said that he came. Now, he, he's, the, he's the son of God, and yet he said this. This is extraordinary. That he came not to be served, which is what I would expect if he was the son of God, but rather to serve. Not only that, or in, in defining that, that is to give his life as a ransom for many what? And he claimed to be the savior of sinners. And he said that he was the way, the way, and the truth, and the life. And then he says, and no one comes to God the Father except through me. Huh? Okay. These are radical things he's saying. He also said that, I mean, think about it. What would you say? Who are you? Who do you think you are? It's not who I think I am. I know who I am. You should have recognized that, he said to his people, to the Jewish people. You should have known. I am he. But he also said this, that his resurrection from the dead would be a sign to prove that he was who he claimed to be. You can see that in John chapter 2. The Jewish authorities wanted a sign. He goes, yeah, under what authority do you do the things you do? Oh, I'll give you a sign. I'm going to go down. I'm going to die. I'm going to be raised back up. He actually said, tear this temple down, and in three days I'll raise it back up. And they were standing in the temple at the time, and they thought he was talking about that temple. 
But John, the writer of the Gospel of John, John chapter 2, goes back to say, but we know what he was talking about, because after he's resurrected, we know that's what he meant, his body. His body would die, but it would raise back up the third day. That was the sign. You want to know who I am? You want proof that I am who I say I am? So listen, listen. Here's how important the resurrection is. Do you think God, because that's the claim, okay? It's not just believing that Christ resurrected. It's believing that God, who's the only one who could do it anyway, resurrected this dead man. It's believing that. God did it. Now, follow me. Would God have validated the claims of a liar or lunatic? Huh? No, that should be a stern, no, 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 absolutely not. That's ridiculous to even think. He wouldn't validate, if this guy was a liar or a lunatic, he wouldn't then, oh, you know what, I'm just going to raise him up. The problem with that is he said that raising him up would be a sign that he is exactly who he said he was. Beloved, he claimed to be the son of God. He, he claimed to be the savior. So then the resurrection of Jesus is God the Father's indisputable authentication of Jesus' life and message. It authenticates it. It proves it to be true. So then to believe in the resurrection is to believe this, that Jesus is all that he said he was and he accomplished all that he said he would do. Huh? Listen, beloved, if the resurrection did not occur, if it did not occur, then Jesus... It's an if. I'm saying if. Then Jesus was a fraud and liar of the worst kind. And he is not even even worth ever mentioning again in history. Do you understand the importance of the resurrection? It cannot be said, it cannot be said that Jesus was a good person or teacher if the resurrection did not occur. Because then he is a crazy man. He said the resurrection would validate everything he said. So it's one or the other. Either he is who he said he is, or he's not. And we shouldn't waste another moment of our time on him. And I only say that because people want to try to embrace Jesus as some good teacher or, 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 or moral man or the way to show us how to live a better life or something. You can't do that. You don't have that option. If, he, if, you, if, you, if you're going to embrace the resurrection, then you have to embrace all that that means. And, and now, he can't just be a good teacher. He's Lord. He's the Son of God. He's all that he said he was. You get me? But if you say, oh, no, no, I don't accept the resurrection. You know, I don't believe in that supernatural stuff. I just think Jesus came, and he was, a, you know, he was a guy trying to help his people out, and we can learn a lot of stuff from him. Why would I want to learn anything from a liar and a lunatic? You see? The resurrection's significant. But in addition to the resurrection validating his life in message, okay, the resurrection is also the absolute proof, oh, this is good, that salvation is secured and found in Jesus Christ alone. And you say, how's that? How do you connect it to? Well, listen, in 1 Corinthians 15, we're not going to turn there, but there Paul says that if Christ has not been raised... Because some people were denying the resurrection. They were saying, oh, there's no resurrection, and even of, of believers. So if there's no resurrection of believers, then Christ didn't resurrect, okay, if that's the case. And if Christ has not been raised, Paul says, then your faith is worthless or futile. And he adds this, and your sins have not been forgiven. Huh? 
If the resurrection did not occur, I'm, I'm trying to show you why it's so important. In order to be saved, that a person must believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. If the resurrection did not occur, if you're not embracing that, if that's not the case, then you have, you have no way of having any confidence that you stand before God forgiven because your sins have not been forgiven if Christ has not been raised. Well, what do our sins being forgiven have to do with Christ being resurrected? Everything, everything, according to God's word. And I'm going to do it quick for you. The apostle Peter, speaking to Christians, said that Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree. It's a reference to the cross. 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verse 24. This means that on the cross, Jesus took to himself the punishment, the price that our unrighteousness or sin demands. He took it upon himself, beloved, The punishment, by the way, was God's holy wrath against sin, which he poured out on his son. Isaiah 53, verse 6 and 10. And when Jesus cried out with a loud voice, it is finished. John 19, verse 30, right before he died on the cross, you know what he meant? He meant that the penalty for sin, not his sin, How do we know that? He was sinless. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. It wasn't for his sin, but the penalty for humanity's sin had been paid in full. There was no further payment required. Jesus had paid it all. He died in man's place as a substitute to make forgiveness of sins a reality for all who would turn and tr- to him and trust in him as their salvation, as their perfect substitute, as their only acceptable payment. Only acceptable. Only one God will accept. You know, you go, you know, go to the, 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 uh, the restaurant or something like that, they're like, no, we don't take American Express, right? We don't accept that form of payment. We only take Visa or MasterCard. Oh, fine. So you're not getting anything unless you give them the form of payment that they accept, right? Well, the only payment that God accepts for sin is the payment that his son rendered on the cross. That's it, beloved. All right? So Paul said, so I just... All of that, you got all that, all right? Paul said if Christ has not been raised, then your sins have not been forgiven. The reason he said that is because the resurrection of Jesus Christ was God's official stamp of approval on his sinless son's sacrifice on the cross, meaning that the resurrection of Jesus demonstrated beyond a shadow of a doubt that God was fully satisfied appeased by the suffering that his son willingly endured for and in the place of sinners. The resurrection was proof that sin had been conquered at the cross once and for all through the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus Christ. One man, actually his name is Calvin, many, a long time ago, uh, Christian. Well, 
He said this, the resurrection alone is often set before us as the assurance of our salvation, the assurance of our salvation, not to draw away our attention from his death, but because it bears witness to the efficacy and fruit of his death. Beloved, yeah, the resurrection is really important. And it's important that you embrace it in order to be saved. To believe that God the Father raised Jesus from the dead is to believe that Jesus is absolutely who he claimed to be and that he fully accomplished our salvation on the cross. Jesus is Lord, beloved. And God raised him from the dead. And if one will believe and confess the message of the gospel, the Bible says that they will be what? Saved! It's that simple! And that brings me to the second aspect of the gospel in the outline. This one's going to be fast. You're like, what? It's 1240-something, seven, maybe eight. I promise, babe. I know you're giving me that look, but it's going to be fast. I promise. The gospel brings salvation to everyone who believes it. Because I don't want to, I want to end here. I want to end here. I want you to walk out of here with this on your mind, all right? Look back at the text with me. We're going we're gonna to go through it pretty quick. Because the point's really simple. But we should not miss it. Romans 10, verse 11 through 13. Paul says, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on, huh? All who call on him for, huh? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Hear me. Yes, amen and amen and amen. The gospel or the word of faith is a message that brings salvation to anyone and to everyone who believes it. To say it another way, the salvation made available in Christ is for anyone who believes. Beloved, you know what that means? <laughs> that means anyone can be saved. Anyone can be made right with God since God's only requirement of humanity is faith. That's what he requires. This is what makes the gospel so accessible. Right? If I told you, listen, if Paul added, oh, and by the way, you have to do this and 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 some of this and all of this, and then you will be saved. How accessible is that? What if I'm not able to do all this, 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 and this? But who can't believe? According to verse 11, every by the way, it also doesn't have any qualifiers on there. Okay, you're saved. You have to believe and end you're saved if you've been a decent person or if you promise to be a decent person going forward. Does it say any of that? Now, obviously, if I, if I come into relationship with this Lord, remember what I said? Jesus Christ. If I come into relationship with him, who is he? Lord, right? Supreme being to whom all? Obedience, allegiance, and worship is due. Well, that's going to have an impact on my life, or at least it should. Besides that, when you get saved, God doesn't say, oh, you're on your own now, but you are indwelt with his Holy Spirit. So now there's a work going on inside of you. 
So the saved person won't remain the same person that they were. And if they do, then there's no reason to think they were ever saved. According to verse 11, every single person who trusts in the Lord, who believes the gospel, he has no reason to fear the final judgment, for the scripture declares the guarantee that they will not be put to shame. They will not in that final judgment. Additionally, the salvation of God does not favor one group of people over another. Aren't you glad? Because there's a lot of that stuff going on in our society, right? But it's not so with God. Not so with his salvation. He doesn't favor one group over the other as Israel wrongly thought, but rather the Lord showers his riches or his saving grace on all who call on him, Gentiles and Jews alike. One writer adds this concerning what it means to call on him. He says this, to call upon him is to appeal to him, to save us in accordance with who he is and what he has done. Everyone who thus calls on him will be saved. That is the guarantee. Beloved, God's salvation is not reserved for the one who achieves some level of goodness or moral uprightness in this life. Did you think it was? A lot of people do. It is not for the person who fulfills some list of rules or for the person who hasn't committed certain sins. Huh? Do you know a lot of people believe that? Well, I killed someone. How could I ever be saved? Uh, by faith. By faith. Well, you don't know how bad I've been. Well, God does. And I don't need to know because he saves by faith. You see? He saves by faith. It is given to anyone, regardless of race, regardless of gender, anyone who is willing to fully embrace the gospel and does so by faith. The Lord will not turn away anyone, beloved. Did you hear me? This is a beautiful thing. He will not turn away anyone who comes to him by faith. Huh? Isn't that wonderful? I'll close with this. The writer says, what then, according to this section, is necessary for salvation? Bible commentator, he says, first, it is the fact of the historic Jesus Christ. It's that, incarnate. God with us in the flesh, crucified, died for his people, for their sins, risen and reigning as Lord and accessible. It starts there. Secondly, it's the apostolic gospel. It's the word of faith which makes him known, which makes his salvation known, beloved. And third, it is simply trust on the part of the hearers. Calling on the name of the Lord, combining faith in the heart, and confession with the mouth. There's no reason for me to believe that everyone in here is a saved individual. There's no reason. In fact, I have every reason to believe that's not the case. Beloved, I, I have told you how to be saved. Not be, I'm not telling you how I have determined how to be saved. I'm telling you what the Word of God says concerning how one is saved. What will you do with it? 
Will you continue in, in, in stubborn rebellion to, to go your own way, or will you submit yourself? Will you submit yourself to the Word of God? Will you submit yourself to God? Will you submit yourself to His way of salvation, which, which renders all of your pride obsolete, crushes it, which is why I think many won't come. You come to Christ, you have to say, there is nothing I can do. There is nothing I can do to be saved. There's nothing I've done in order that has earned or merited this or put me in a better position with God. There's nothing I might do in the future. This salvation comes solely and completely by faith. I embrace this one, the Lord Jesus Christ, and I believe that God has indeed raised this one from the dead. The Bible says if you do that, if it's it's a saving faith, beloved, you will be saved. You will be saved. You will be born again. And the beginning of your real life will start. And it will never end. It is a life with God, consummated in eternity. I hope you would do that. I hope you would do that. Beloved, if you're saved, how about tell someone, right? How about tell someone? Bring the gospel to bear on them and then pray that God would do his mighty work to draw that rebellious sinner to himself, that God would break his heart that God would humble them, that God would grant them ears to hear and eyes to see, that God would sovereignly summon them to himself, that they as well might confess and believe. Huh? That's what we're called to do, my friends. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and we thank you for our great salvation. Father, may we uh, open our mouths May we be just your vessels used by you to communicate this apostolic message, the word of faith, the message concerning salvation, the message concerning Jesus Christ who has secured salvation for sinners. That is for all who will trust and believe in that message. Father, uh, we may not be great at, at sharing that message, but help us get better at it. But Lord, before we can even do that, we got to start with it. we got to open our mouths. we got to start to share it. And so, Father, I pray, give us boldness. Give us boldness. Make us fearless before man. Our family, our friends, our co-workers, when they're using Jesus Christ as a curse name, let us go to them graciously, not to, not to try to correct their behavior, but to tell them about that Jesus. Tell them about that one that they treat so lightly. May we do that. May we share the only hope for mankind. Your son, Father. Your son who died to rescue sinners. And Father, may we rejoice in this great salvation and always remember that this salvation of ours begins in faith and it continues in faith. We don't ever add to it We don't ever contribute to it. It is by faith and faith alone in Christ alone that any sinner could ever possibly be saved. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.